You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. Amen and amen. Let's thank our worship team again. We're so appreciative of them. Lots of great folks, but there's a guy named Ed playing the drums. I just want to say two Eds are better than one on a Sunday. So, so anyway, so good to see you this morning and good to be able to open and share God's word. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew. That's a phrase you're going to be very familiar with because we're going to be in Matthew pretty much all through the summer. So I want you to turn to the book of Matthew and uh, kind of stay there. But we're going to start, we're still kind of in our long introductory ramp to the book of Matthew. And next week, we're going to, of course, be online next week. And some of you are online today. I'm going to address you in just a moment. But for those of you who are, um, who are unsure, sometimes you're online or in person, uh, let me just encourage you to, as always, go to the webpage, follow along with us, and particularly um, get in the habit of being where we are. So if we're meeting by electrons and avatars, let's gather together with electrons and avatars. That's us next week. Uh, this week and then on Easter Sunday, we'll be gathered in person. Uh, if you build that rhythm, it'll be part of us building back better, uh, building back in what it means to be a church and being the kind of community that God's calling us to be. And so anyway, so we'll be going, actually next Sunday, we'll actually start walking through the Gospel of Matthew at the very beginning. And I promise you, it will not be, I, I know you skip this when you read the Bible. You get to the begats in Matthew chapter one and you say, oh, I'm going to pass that part. But because it says, you know, the book of genealogy and son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham and Isaac. And so what I'm going to tell you is um, don't skip next Sunday. As a matter of fact, because um, we just sang a song about the David's root. Is he worthy? He's David's root. What does that mean? He's of David's root. Uh, we're going to look at that next week. And I want to encourage you to join us online when we do that. But today's message is actually going to be primarily uh, housed in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse uh, 13. And we're going to read verse to verses 13 through 16, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Uh, let me read it and then we'll walk through it. It says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a stand, it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory or glorify your Father. Uh, see your good works, give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Now, I want you to uh, realize and remember that what I'm doing here in these last three weeks, this is the third of three weeks, because I'm doing this long on-ramp to the book of Matthew, bringing some themes and hopefully building an enthusiasm in you to engage the gospel of Matthew. Now, Matthew is a gospel written by, of course, someone by the name of Matthew, who, which will become important as we look through uh, this book of Scripture. But also, too, what I, what I want you not to miss is that um, there are themes throughout the gospel of Matthew that will keep coming back to Matter of fact, we'll have the great joy of coming in a month or so to the Sermon on the Mount, the most important sermon given by the most important teacher who ever lived. And this is taken from that Sermon on the Mount. But I want you to know and see that Matthew is concerned 
that God's people, the church, actually Matthew uses the word church, quoting Jesus twice, but that the church and Christians might be those who shine as light in the world. So we're going to talk about salt, light, and Christians in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, um, I have been in the habit of using a PowerPoint, but I've decided not to do that today, in part because I have a seven-point message, and which is a violation of many preaching rules. Uh, and I didn't want you to see all seven on the screen and be overwhelmed by them. So we're just going to walk through uh, this passage, and I'll bring some things out. But this should be obvious, right? I mean, you don't have to be a Christian too long. You haven't been in church that much to know that Christians are supposed to be salt and light. But we often miss very obvious things. So Matthew's going to remind us of that through the Gospel of Matthew, and I'm going to remind us of that today, because sometimes things sound exceedingly obvious, but they're not, and we need to be reminded. We see that even on packaging for products, right? Let me give you some examples of that, right? Um, here are some actual uh, packaging on, on products. Here's one. It says, on a hotel-provided shower cap in a box, it says this, fits one head. <laughs> right? It would seem obvious, but there it is. On a Sears hairdryer, it actually says, uh, do not use while sleeping, which you have to wonder, is that, is that a common misuse of the hairdryer? Um, on a child's Superman costume, it says, uh, wearing this garment does not enable you to fly, which might be a helpful caution. Uh, on Boots Children's Medicine, it says, on Boots Children's Cough Medicine, it says, do not drive or operate machinery because my six-year-old might need to know that, I guess. On a Nightall sleep aid, it says, warning may cause drowsiness. Well, I'm kind of hoping that's why I purchased it as well. Or um, here, 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 here's one. It says, uh, on an American Airlines packet of nuts, it says, instructions, open packet, eat nuts. <laughs> I mean, it seems maybe someone needed to know that. It's not a musical instrument, perhaps. Um, on a bag of Fritos, it said, you could be a winner. No purchase necessary, details inside. Much to the horror of storekeepers everywhere. Um, and finally, on Sainsbury's peanuts is the warning, warning contains nuts, which would seem not to be a necessary warning. But here's something that's so obvious, but we often miss it. Christians are supposed to be salt and light. They're supposed to be salt and light. That does not change as society changes. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So I think there's never been a more important time for us to be salt and light in our lifetimes. We think of salt making things tasty, but that's actually not the primary concern. People didn't think of salt as flavoring so Christians aren't here to add a special flavor or pizzazz to the world, right? So I have at my house an old uh, shaker of salt, right? And so um, we think of it as something put on the flavor. But what's interesting is Jesus didn't give a lot of details as to what he meant when he said, you are the salt of the earth. Salt was very valuable in Jesus' day, so valuable that the word salary actually comes from the word salt. People were paid in salt. So three quick things that we'll walk through of what salt does. If you're a note taker, I encourage you to jot these down and help you to remember these. Just the process of writing it down will help you to remember these. So the first thing salt does, when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, the first thing salt does is salt preserves. Now you don't think of it this way because we're living in a different day and a different age, but we still experience this today. As many of you know, I fly in from Chicago to be here when we're having services live. 
And so I went to the airport and, uh, and went to the airport and right there in the line, I could buy an example of this. And so I did. So this is something that is actually, uh, would be a reminder or reminiscent of people what salt is used for. This is, uh, this is one of the great gifts God has given to men and women is beef jerky. There you go, there you go. Uh, I bought a whole package of it and for some reason all but one piece is gone, so I don't know what happened to the rest of them. But in beef jerky, which in addition to the Twinkie will be something that actually survives the global apocalypse, in beef jerky, if I can open this, in beef jerky you actually find that meat is, uh, is preserved, right, preserved, and salt would be something they would use 2,000 years ago to do that, right? So, or maybe if you're Irish, like Sean and I are Irish and others, uh, you may be familiar with corned beef. The corn is actually not corn like corn on the cob, but it's corns or kernels of salt. And so it's a preservative that preserves, right? So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, for many people, that's probably what came to their mind. When we read the Bible, we want to ask, what did the original hearers think this meant? And so certainly salt preserving would be part of that. We are preservative agents in the midst of a world that's going rotten, that's going bad. You say, maybe this isn't the America I grew up in. Maybe you grew up in some other place in the world. This isn't the world I grew up in. Well, first, let me just tell you, um, the world you grew up in may not have been great for a whole lot of other people, but second, whoever said we're gonna have it easy, so what do we do? What do we do as followers of Jesus in a world that is really in a difficult space and changing in ways that are moving away from Christian faith and commitment. Ross Southend, in his article in the New York Times, wrote an article called Waking Up in 2030. Talked about during this pandemic, which we're just up in a year into it, suddenly social trends have rapidly accelerated. And now it seems that social trends that might've taken five, 10 years to work through the culture, now suddenly are before us. It's like waking up in 2030 in the midst of the pandemic. The world is moving away from Christian values. And in the midst of that, Jesus is raising up a people who are called to be salt and light. Now we can look to Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7 in the Old Testament to help us. Let me read it. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into uh, exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Having grown up on Long Island, I always think of that town there in Babylon. I have family who grew up in Babylon. And yet here it's talking about the literal place where they were actually taken away. So God is instructing the exiles who've gone from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what he says. They're in the, the city of the world, right? They're in the great city that works against and stands against the things of God, that pursues its own values, its, its own right and wrong, not those of God. And here's what God says to them. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So once you miss this, here we are. The world is a Babylon today. And in the midst of this, God's call in our life is to be preservative agents. You are the salt of the earth, is to live as those changed by the power of the gospel. And in doing so, we're going to make a difference in the world around us. 
And I think ultimately that's central to our call. I can unpack that more. I'm, one of my favorite books on this subject is To Change the World by James Davidson Hunter. He talks about being a faithful presence. That's our call right now, right? In New York and all the communities surrounding, we're going to be a faithful presence, showing and sharing the love of Jesus. Because the reality is we may be in exile for a while. Christians have in many ways lost our home field advantage. So in that place and in this time, we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We live as those changed by Jesus, then love those around us. That's why we care about schools and the poor. That's why we stand against injustice and immorality. That's why we're involved in government, and, and not just for power, but the ability to influence the, the, the decision makers for the betterment of our communities. And, and the reality is, in the years to come, it's going to be increasingly clear that what we believe as followers of Jesus and what the world believes are increasingly moving away from one another. So how do we respond? Well, I mean, I guess we could be a bunch of bitter old church people, grumpy at the world, yelling at non-believers to get off of our proverbial moral lawn. But that doesn't show forth the gospel. That doesn't preserve in the way that Jesus calls us to when he says, you are the salt of the earth. Salt preserves. Also, number two, if you're taking notes, number one was salt preserves. Number two is salt creates thirst. Salt creates thirst. I want you to miss this, right? So when the disciples would have heard Jesus say, you're the salt of the earth, I'm just not making up a list of things. If I was making up a list of things that 20th century, 20th century, 21st century people would think of, you would say, well, salt adds flavor. That's none of them would have thought that. But they certainly would have thought that salt creates thirst. And we see the theme of thirst throughout the scriptures, right? Just a few weeks ago, I, I talked about how the water of life, right? this very room, I believe it was, the water of life would flow and change everything. In John 14, excuse me, John 4, 15, the woman said to Jesus, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty and have to come to draw again. When you live your life changed by the power of Jesus, people will see Jesus and say, I want that. I'm thirsty for what I see in you. And again, don't miss this. I think the connection with light and sharing Christ is actually going to remind us, makes me think that, and involve light sharing Christ, makes me think that salt and creating thirst is certainly here. Jesus goes on to say to the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. And, who, and whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. That's Jesus' promise. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman says, give me this water. Sisters and brothers, I think that we're going to find that as we gather together to worship for the weeks, in the weeks to come and the months to come and the years to come, that the reputation of our church may be impacted by the fact that it doesn't go along with the modern world's sensibilities on some things. And so you might say, well, I'm going to invite you to church. And someone's going to say, well, I know about your church because it's like those other churches and I don't go for what those churches believe. But here's the thing. If you're working with somebody, if you're driving truck, if you're working in the factory, if you're working in the service industry, if you're a lawyer in the office next door and they say, but I see something different in you, they may not thirst for what the church they perceive has to offer, but they might thirst for what they see in your life. Now, here's the challenge. Some Christians live their lives in such a way it makes people queasy. You want to live your life in such a way that it makes people thirsty. And that's a key theme throughout the Gospel of Matthew, right? So we're going to see this over and over again. Matthew wants our lives to be shaped by Christ 
and for people to see Christ in us. We want to live in such a way that people ask, what's up with them? What's going on there? And then in the normal flow of life, we are telling. But part of the challenge is that's not really what we're known for as much today, and I, I get that. But that's ultimately what I want to encourage us to be. You know, in the Babylon of Babylons, may we be those who are living our lives in such a way that make people thirsty. So salt preserves, salt creates thirst. But you know, probably it wouldn't be surprising if they also remembered that salt heals. Again, not something we would think about today. Probably none of you, unless you grew up in Arab country, are familiar with the idea of salt being a healing agent. Because even today in some Arab, com Arab countries, when babies are born, they, they bathe them in salt to protect the health, to protect and to remove any, any sense of, uh, of infection and more. So there's still some sense of that. So salt heals, right? Uh, you know, so, so it's this idea of salt as this antiseptic or healing agent. Actually, in Ezekiel 16.4, it actually says this. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. I know it seems strange that, to rub a baby down with salt, but when you remember the antiseptic practices, and, uh, and it doesn't. So here's the thing. We live in a world that's very divided and very broken. Um, Chad just led us in worship a few minutes ago, and it says, is all creation groaning? Boy, could we not say that in the last year, all creation's been groaning? And it's not just the pandemic, but we saw racial injustice on display. Uh, we saw the political division on display. We saw, I saw this morning, I actually retweeted it this morning. Um, I saw this morning that Costco now has a sign up that no limit on toilet paper. And it seems that the world is healing today. <laughs> Remember back in the day. But you know, I, don't, I hesitate to tell you this. I don't want to distract you from this, but... It was actually this day, one year ago, March 14th, that the media in New York City reported the first death from coronavirus. So a year ago today, it's all creation groaning. It is. And yet in the midst of this, Calvary and many other churches in New York City have stood up, have stood out, have stood in the gap, have shown and shared the love of Jesus in the midst of the brokenness to the point where people who would oppose the message that we preached welcome the service that we bring. And we saw that because salt heals. Now, mind you, I don't think that that means that all of the issues that I've unpacked thus far are suddenly going to go away. But we saw New Yorkers, we saw the mayor, we saw others say, uh, anyone who wants to help, come help us now. And you know who said yes? Followers of Jesus. That's what salt does. So again, in a world where too many Christians live their lives in a way that brings discord or antagonism and strife, again, yelling at our neighbors to get off of our moral front lawn, but we see a culture as a battle in which to win, and in doing so, it can cause hurt and pain to others around us. But being salt tells us we should live our lives in such a way as to bring healing to those around us. We many have suffered much. And again, we're not even just talking about the uh, COVID-19 but think of the mental health crises that have become so evident and real, and their churches go, their Christians go, standing in the gap, showing and sharing the love of Jesus. This means loving our neighbors. And what an opportunity to do so, particularly as the weather is turning warm. I recognize that we had opportunity when the weather was not so warm. But still, where people are unsure about gathering in crowds, they're pretty sure about seeing their neighbor on the front step. And so what an opportunity for us, loving our neighbors, listening to their stories, caring for the poor and the outcast by meeting physical needs. I, I do believe that 
the next few months, assuming that things continue to go the way we're seeing as the virus begins to decline, the next few months may be the greatest opportunity to show and share the love of Jesus that we've seen in our lifetime. Probably the second one. I actually think last Easter was the greatest, most receptive time for the gospel that people have ever experienced in our lifetime. But I think this may be the second most receptive time as we can again engage. Can I just ask you right now to make that a priority for Easter for you? Now, let me say too, I mentioned to those of you gathering online, we are glad you're here. No one's getting left behind at Calvary. But I want to say to you again, we are gathering safely and carefully. We're following all protocols. We're going above and beyond, not just CDC guidelines, not just New York City guidelines and more. We're going above and beyond. This Easter may be one of the greatest opportunities we have to show and share the love of Jesus. We're going to be meeting safely, socially distanced and more. But I want to encourage you, if you have not yet come out to a regathered Calvary, that Easter's the time for you to do that with us. And for those of us who are gathered here to bring our friends and neighbors, remind them that we're following all these protocols and doing so is our opportunity. This is a time for us to be the salt. God made us salty so we can stem the infection of sin and death in the world around us. And if there's ever been a time when creation was groaning that needs the salt of the gospel, it's today. Which leads to number four in our outline. Salt needs to stay salty, which is an odd phrase, and I'll explain why in just a moment. But salt needs to stay salty. At number four in our outline, salt needs to stay salty. Number one, just remember, was salt preserves. Number two, is salt creates thirst. Number three, salt heals. Number four, salt needs to stay salty. So Matthew 5.13 says this, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Which is actually a very strange phrase. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Jim Canary is our uh, chairman of elders and just a consummate huge nerd. Uh, he, he actually knows that today, I'm sure I don't have to tell him, I don't have to tell him that today is a very special day for nerds today. Who knows what today is a special day for nerds? Just shout it out. It's Pi Day. Of course it is. It's Pi Day. 3.14, March 14th. It's Pi Day. I bet I didn't have to tell Jim Canary that, but Jim, you know, my guess is Jim also knows that salt is a chemical compound, NaCl, that oddly and strangely enough cannot still be salt and maintain its core chemical compound. So when Jesus says, but if salt has lost its taste, again, Jesus is not trying to tell us all the details of what salt is as a chemical compound, as a compound. But, um, but what he's telling us is, is that you lose your salt, not when the nature of the salt is changed, but it gets diluted by the world around it. Right? So many churches have lost their salt. They thought doing good things would get what they needed, and they quit using their words to show and share the love of Jesus. They changed their views. Unsalted food is susceptible to microorganisms, which undermine the integrity of the meat itself. The meat doesn't go bad from the outside, but the influence, it rots from the inside. It lost its taste. So salt can't lose its taste physically. But Jesus was using it about becoming diluted. We become diluted, and many Christians today have become diluted because they have actually been spiritually shaped and discipled more by their cable news than they have by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the teachings of the scripture. Um, we become diluted through vain and empty talk. We focus on momentary issues that don't have eternal weight. Our effectiveness to be agents of preservation, agents of thirst, and agents of healing actually diminishes. Maybe we're operating out of fear, and in doing so, man, man and I get it, it's easy to be, to be fearful in the world in which we live, right? But, but ultimately, Jesus says, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's a rhetorical question, right? But a world without Christians begins to rot, 
And we can become less and less salty because we're not loving others sacrificially. We become less and less salty when we're not loving others sacrificially. You see, we're a sign. The church is a sign. So as we gather here in the Ziegfeld, we don't gather here simply to have some songs and a talk. We gather here because this is a place where the kingdom of God is broken into the world. So this is a sign of the kingdom of God. Here in this place, races are reconciled. Marriages are made whole. People walk in spiritual wellness. In here, why? Because it's a sign of the kingdom of God. So what happens is people want to say, what, what, is a, what does a Christian marriage look like? Well, we can say, look, here's some people who are living that sign. What does a Christian single life that's glorifying the Lord look like? We can say, look here, here's some people. It's a sign of what the kingdom of God looks like. So... As we fast forward to 2030, if they call us narrow-minded, we'll serve the hurting of every kind and tell them about the one who heals all hearts. If they call us bigoted, actually we'll show them the wide love of Jesus with our actions and share and show the love of Jesus with our words. If they think we're out of step with the times, we'll show them about that we have the time to listen and take the time to tell them about our Jesus. So, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth doesn't end there. Salt and light. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to unpack this in beautiful and breathtaking detail. Matthew is a beautifully written gospel that I think will speak to where we are as Calvary, as a church, but it doesn't end there. Back to our Bibles, right? Matthew chapter 5, you got it there hopefully in front of you or you've turned it on. I do want to encourage you when you come together in person, let's bring our paper Bibles as well. On Easter, it'll be great to see people who might be guests. They'll see us all take our Bibles out. They'll know what we're looking at and looking to. So in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus goes on in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set upon a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. No, sorry, that's not in there. That's a song. Hide it under a bushel. No, sorry. But on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So let's go on to point number five, violating all rules I learned in seminary. Number five, light shines. Light shines. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. You. You. How did it become you? I mean, how did you get that description? I thought Jesus was the light of the world. Well, actually, don't miss this, right? It's, if we just look, you know, we're just a few months away from Christmas where we know, we hear words like Matthew 4, 16, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. So it starts with darkness. And then John the Baptist, there's a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to bear, to bear witness about the light. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So there's darkness. And then John the Baptist comes in the light. And then Jesus says, I am the light of the world in John 8. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And then Jesus says of believers, I have come into the world as the light. Whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So Jesus brings the light to us. And then Jesus finally says, you are the light of the world. So this light has continued. It's shined and now shines from us. That's what I love about Calvary. Long time shining the light in the darkness. Yesterday I was um, down at Moody Bible Institute in the Part of Chicago. Um, I usually do my radio show from a little studio I have in my home, but um, kind of a special program we had. So I went down there and I got to visit with the president of Moody Bible Institute, Mark Job, great, great brother, and Michael Rydelnik. And I told Michael Rydelnik that I, he said, you're at Calvary. I said, yeah. yeah. He said, you know about Calvary, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I've read the book. There's a whole book. So tell God, I've read the whole book. He says, do you know that's the first place I ever stepped foot in church? 
I said, no. And now he's a professor. He's heard on radio around the world teaching people the Bible. He said, this is the place where the light shined. This is the place where he walked with Jesus. So for over a century, Calvary has been shining forth the light. And you say, well, Ed, what's the future of Calvary? And I know it's, it's been a very strange year, right? Who would have thought at the beginning of this year, let's, well, you know, let's, let's sell our building. That seems like a great idea. No. Got out of the hotel business, got out of, sold the building. Um, and then there was a global pandemic, and then pastorless, and then all this. And you might just, you might just say, well, what, what's going to happen? Can I just tell you, Calvary's been in more difficult circumstances and situations in the past. Been buildingless, been pastorless, been through the Spanish flu epidemic that is multiple times worse than what we're in right now. You know what's going to make the future of Calvary secure? Not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. And we're built on that rock or that light. Light shines. You are the light of the world, which leads to number six in our outline. Light is not to be hidden. Number five, light shines. Number six, light is not to be hidden. It says a city set upon a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And some of you know that phrase, a city set upon a hill, and people use that in political discourse, right? People use that, there's a famous speech by Ronald Reagan that does this, De Tocqueville talks about this. It's this idea that America is this shining city set upon a hill, and, 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 and I would just tell you, that's not, Jesus wasn't referring to our country. He was referring to the church and our call and for the Christian. Ephesians 3.10, though, says God has chosen the church to make known his manifold wisdom. I want you not to miss this, right? I believe in Calvary Church. I hope you do. God has chosen the church to make known his manifold wisdom. The, the church is not the center of God's plan. Jesus is. But the church is central to God's plan. And as we move forward together, we're going to see in Matthew that Matthew wants to see a people of God shaped. On two occasions, he quotes Jesus using the word church, which we don't see as much in the other Gospels. We, he quotes the idea of the church. And in doing so, we see the value that the church is to shine. We shine at a theater. We shine at a college. We shine at an ethical center. We shine in a building one day. But in all those places, light is not to be hidden. Light is to shine, and that's the call that we have. Now, why? Why does this matter for us? Because it's a reminder that we don't exist for ourselves, but light shines in darkness. Light is not to be hidden. Finally, number seven on our outline, and you'll never hear me have seven points in an outline again. But there's so much here, and it's so reflective of the Gospel of Matthew throughout this. Light showing. Light showing. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. In March of last year, I did a little Facebook Live from my basement. It was before I knew that you could use Zoom to stream through Facebook Live. I didn't know how to share a screen on Facebook Live. I didn't know how to do any of those things. I'm actually in the basement. I have to show people a monitor. I turn my laptop up and show them a monitor. And I said to churches, this is not the crisis. Right then, churches were all freaked out about having to go online. And I said, this is not the crisis. The crisis is weeks and months ahead of us. A couple hundred thousand people ended up watching that Facebook Live, probably the most watched thing I ever did. 
But in part, what I wanted to call Christians to do was to be light showing in the world. And 2020 and 2021, this year, March 2020, it's continued on. This is the longest march in the history of the world. Um, but I think ultimately churches indeed did stand up. Calvary did. Without a building and without a pastor, but with a light that shines. And that light's still shining. Jesus says in John 8, 12, he says, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. So, so there's this reality that Jesus says, he's the light. We now have the light of light. Now, here's the thing. Here we're at the Ziegfeld. I always want to say Zegfield, but it's Ziegfeld, right? Did I get that right, Todd? Okay. Ziegfeld? No, it's Zeg. It's Z-E-I-G. It's not. Sweet mother of pearl. Am I saying it wrong? I'm Googling this right now. I just tell you, this is the only time I get to actually use my facial recognition software. Who developed a facial recognition software just before the, the masks went on? Ziegfeld Theater. I'm looking it up right now because I don't, I don't believe you, Chad. Chad doesn't know. Chad's making this stuff up. Let's see. It is spelt Ziegfeld. Ziegfeld. But the pronunciation? You're, you're dead to me. Um, take your Bible back. Um, I borrowed Chad's Bible today, and Chad, Chad has clearly, I mean, wow, Chad, you need some Bible in your life, it appears. This is like the biggest, but this is Chad's Bible. I, I forget things a lot. Um, but you know, here's the thing. We can all gather here together. There's lights here. There's lights around us, and we can all get the light in a room, but that's not what light's for. Light's not for us being gathered together, but us being scattered as light in the midst of the darkness. And at this theater, which could be the Ziegfeld, the Zegfeld, or the Zegfield, at this theater, we gather together to be equipped to be the light, but light showing. Here's the thing. Um, we're seeing the light at the end of the proverbial tunnel in some ways related to the pandemic. We'll see. We don't know for sure. But I will tell you, culturally, it may get darker. I don't know, but Jesus is still king, and we're still called to be light. You know, they may not want to hear, but we're still called to tell. They need to know and we need to go. Let there be salt. Let us be light and let's trust God for the future. Because he's worthy, as the worship team led us in. Is he worthy? And we sang back, he is. So Christians are to be salt and light. The Gospel of Matthew, this is the last of the introduction. But I promise you, the, the begats... The genealogy of Jesus is filled with light. And we'll see and we'll learn on this. So I want to invite you to invite others to engage with us the Gospel of Matthew. I want to invite you to engage with me the Gospel of Matthew. Here's what I want to encourage you to do as well, even as we start this series. If you look at the Gospel of Matthew, if you just look at it, you could go through it. It's 28 chapters, right? Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I actually want to encourage you to consider, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, that one thing you can start right now is to read with me the Gospel of Matthew once a month. Chapter a day. Miss a couple days, I won't judge you. A couple of days you miss, you still get 28 chapters, and February's past us. And so to read through the Gospel of Matthew, because I believe the Gospel of Matthew can change lives. Matter of fact, and I'll close with this, one of the organizations that has impacted the world, including much of my family, is Alcoholics Anonymous, and I have permission to share that. Early on, Alcoholics Anonymous was very driven by the Gospel of Matthew, particularly the Sermon on the Mount, where part of what you would do in the first series of days is you'd read through the Sermon on the Mount. You'd engage the teaching here because people saw it as so life-changing. Sister, brothers, I want to invite you on a journey with me 
a journey through the Gospel of Matthew that I believe can shape our lives. Now, we're called to be salt, we're called to be light. Matthew's going to help us understand that, but so, so much more. You know why? We sang it a minute ago. Is he worthy of this? He is. He is. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org slash give or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.